Hello, fanboys and fangirls. This is your host, Aaron Broverman. Just a quick note to say thank you for all those people who downloaded our first episode with the incomparable Joe Kilmartin. We hope that you're rating and reviewing our show on iTunes. And also, you can follow us at SpeechBubblePod on Twitter or at our Facebook fan page, www.facebook.com slash SpeechBubblePod. The following conversation with Marco Rudy was recorded a few months ago. We talked about Marvel Knights Spider-Man, but we didn't get around to talking about Bucky Barnes' Winter Soldier as he wasn't doing it at the time. Still, we hope you enjoy. Thanks. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Fanboys and fangirls, in the house today we have a very special guest. We have Marco Rudy. You might remember him from his work on The Shield and Swamp Thing, but now he's really killing it on Marvel Knights Spider-Man. If you've seen his work, it's just mind-blowing. But I guess you get that when, essentially, Spider-Man is high in the, in the, in the comic, and he can just go wherever he wants. So, so welcome, Marco. Thank you. He's not high. He's, he's not? No. Okay, so I thought in, let, let's talk about this then. Hmm. I thought in the issue that he's, that he was like, that he was like drugged or he something. Was. He, he okay. Was, yeah. He okay. Was, he was, um, twice drugged. Okay. There was jack-o'-lantern. Okay. The gas. And then there's the pill. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so the whole issue as a reader, I kind of didn't know whether or not he's hallucinating what's happening or if it's actually happening. Well, I can't tell you that. You have to find out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so is that not, but that's not high in your, in your opinion, you don't think? He didn't inflict it on himself. It's true. Uh, yeah. He did not inflict it on himself. Yeah. He's, he's groggy and he's hallucinating, yes, but he's not definitely not enjoying it. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. I, I get the distinction. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but the first thing I want to sort of get into is uh, where you grew up and what brought you to Toronto. I'm African and I'm from Mozambique. I grew up in the capital, Maputo. It's a place where comics were, when I was younger, they were more present, especially through Belgian and French albums. I consumed that. It, it was it was pretty good. I think when I was probably around six or seven, I saw the first American comics. It was uh, Chris Claremont's Frank Miller Wolverine story. I remember the cover where he's on a like a darker light and you almost see his eyes, like almost like a mm-hmm. silhouette, and the claws are out. And I loved it. And in that issue, he decapitates somebody. So that was striking. But I immediately got attached to it. I remember that initially my folks were not very happy with it. They didn't like comics. They didn't like video games. Violence? Or? They just said that I was a more creative person when I was reading books because I was a very avid reader ever since I was young, like younger. I read huge, huge books for the sake of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And they thought that my growing love for comics was dissuading me from, from reading other types of books, and that was not very good in their opinion. I was forbidden to get comics. Oh, no. Yeah, so I, I would deviate some money <laughs> to get comics until I got found out. 
Would you have to like sneak them or? Oh yeah, I sneak them in my in a specific drawer in my uh, my room, which is not very clever because it's one of the drawers of uh, drawer case. So somebody just opens it and see like a buttload of comics in there, they're not very happy. So what happened when you got found out? Uh, some of them got destroyed. Uh, I, f- I got found out when I had recently bought Batman Year One, and my father found it and he ripped it in front of me. Ooh! <laughs> and he threw it out the window. Uh, we have we have a copy here. You can see. Oh, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know. How uh, old were you? I was uh, I don't know, thirteen. Not that. Wow. Well, that, but the, the the main reason they were upset is just that I was deviating money to get those. That was not to earn money. Mm. So, um, I don't know. Uh, in a roundabout way, it's interesting to, to see that um, decades after that, here I am and I'm working in comics. <laughs> wow. It's uh, interesting and they love it and uh, they support me. But um, it was a bumpy road, like a pretty bumpy road. Wow. But I think what got me into working in comics was that um, I was living in Brazil and studying architecture, and some of my teachers, they were into comics. And we would talk about comics, but I, I was just uh, draw stuff, but nothing serious. And uh, I, I registered one of them, I did the internet accounts, and started posting some stuff. Immediately after that, uh, I got an American collaborator that wanted to work with me. That um, that was a very, very short-lived experience. We had uh, a lot of fun. We talked a lot. His premise uh, t- today, I still think, is a very good premise. It's a book called Corrective Measures. I think it's still published yeah. through Arcana. And we did the first issue that was horrible. My art was horrible. <laughs> and um, this was 2006. Okay. Yeah, early 2006. I was working on the second issue, and I was studying architecture, and that was complicated. And uh, another guy, a Canadian guy, Howard Wong. He, he's, he's yeah, doing I, some, I know Howard, yeah. Yeah, he's doing the True Patriot stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Howard had this uh, premise about the drunk superhero that uh, falls, that falls into uh, darkness. And uh, So was this, was this like pre after the cape? That's, he, he did yeah, that's, that's how that it started. That is after the cape, yeah. okay. So. Yeah, and he, had, uh, he said that he had an interesting agreement with uh, Image Comics to publish it. He knew an editor, Kristen Summon by then, and then he started talking to Jim Valentino for that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had about seven, eight months of negotiations uh, in a way that uh, we would change to suit the, change the premise a little bit, change the artwork a little bit to finally find uh, like a common ground for all of us. When he did it, the book got out. And yeah. uh, it was a, a huge surprise. Yeah, and he did a sequel too. Yeah, I, I was not part of it. Okay. <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> but uh, it was a good learning experience. One of the things I found interesting was right after the first issue came out, everybody was relating into Frank Miller's Sin City because it was a high contrast, heavy black and white. I kept saying that's not what inspired the look. What happened was that I was going black and white because somebody else was going to color it. And the colorist that we used, Jim Valentine, was not very happy with them. Then we tried grayscale and he was not very happy with it. And he said, you know what, I can try something with the style. If we're going to do black and white, I can try something with the style. And we don't need to pay for a colorist. What I did was, by then I had, I had seen a French movie, French animation called The Renaissance. And The uh, Renaissance is essentially heavy conscious black and white. I loved it. I, actually, I, I recently rewatched it and I'm so sad that there's no more exposure. It's such a great movie. 
So everybody talks about Sin City and about other animation. I'm like, dude, watch watch that movie. Like, yeah, it's 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 a Blade Runner a little bit, a Blade Runner a little bit of a the Sin City look. Oh. Very noir, very good. Anyways, um, I see that you've seen the movie. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, Jeff's seen it. I have not seen it. Yeah, you have to. It's yeah. pretty good. So the style influenced my approach to the book. That's the the comparison because there's a lot of high contrast in yeah. black and white. We got good responses out of that book. I did the second issue. I got sick during the second issue. I had malaria. Ooh, that messed up everything. So I did uh, till page 15 of issue number two. And then uh, I brought a friend of mine, I kind of trembled. I think it was him, but he helped out and he did the third issue. It was good. It was a good premise. It was a good idea. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Uh, just because of your sickness? There was more stuff. I'd rather just keep this okay, cool. not, not, not. But uh, Jim and Chris, they were helpful. Howard, we're good friends, great friends. He's one of my better friends here. Ironically, uh, he's one of the reasons that I came to Toronto. When I told him, hey, man, I finally got the visa and I'm moving in, he said, well, yeah, I'm going to China. So, bye. Yeah, I remember that. Like, I I just met him, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, Howard, this is awesome." We were hitting it off, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah. sorry, go to Taiwan, but bye." And I'm like, um, "So yeah, I got to meet him here because he was here for Fan Expo when I was here. He was here too. He helped me out setting up, and uh, he introduced me to everybody here. It was a little bit overwhelming because I had been to something akin to a convention in Brazil, but nothing." of the scope that they are in the North America. So you moved here because of him or no. more than that? It's got to um, be more than that. I lived for a pretty long time in Brazil, like nine years. At the end of it, I was thinking that I needed an upgrade in my connection to other creators because I, I knew, I know the Brazilian creators, many of them, the big guys and all of them, but they're all spread out. My group of friends was uh, Rafael Albuquerque, Mateo Santoloco from the Ninja Turtles yeah. book. Andre Coelho, he did some stuff for Marvel, but he can do it. I don't know. It just didn't work for him. Yeah. And the guy, he's, an, he's not very known, but he did some stuff that uh, CBR loved, loved, loved. He does like, a very skinny, stretched out, cartoony style. Yeah. And he did a story for Aquaman, but, like a one-page silent story for Aquaman that CBR loved. <laughs> I love his art. Yeah. For me, he's absurdly underrated. His name is Eduardo Medeiros, but uh, you probably don't know. Him. No, no. A girl in the group that was uh, Chris Peter. She's a colorist for Casanova. She's doing a lot of stuff for the girls, Marvel girl stuff. Mm -hmm. She does Dark Horse stuff. She's one of the Eisen nominators for the colorists for last year's. This was my group because we are all at Raphael's studio. It was great and jumping back and forth here, but that's fine. That's half the fun. When what had happened was after, right after after the cave, Jim and Chris did something that was not very cool, and I was. For the longest period, I was without a gig, mm -hmm. and I was scared. But uh, you know what? It's okay. They were in the right. Anyways, I was sick. I couldn't do the gig, and uh, it didn't work out. Anyways, yeah. but I was afraid that I was not going to get any more gigs. And for a year, I wasn't getting any work, and money was going away. Yeah. And then I got thrown off my apartment. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but right as this happened, I met Rafael, and I got into his studio, and he said, I can help you out with some of the American creators and see if I can get you some gigs and whatnot. We got an interesting deal with Boom where I had to do covers for a better part of a year. I did covers for the Zombie Tales and the, um, there was another one, it was like a, a darker kind of thing. 
and um, got friends with uh, Mark Wade. But for that period, it, it was good. It was it was a good arrangement. Didn't pay much of the bills, but yeah. uh, it kept me with some money. It was uh, good. A little foot in the door, a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. At this event that I said I came to a convention here, I met Eddie Braganza, okay. a senior DC Comics nice. editor. Oh. I met uh, Joe Prado. He's an inker. He's an artist, but he's also like a super agent. He's the super agent in Brazil. Okay. He showed interest in my work. He realized that I was lying to Eddie Berganza, as Eddie Berganza realized that I was lying to him immediately when he asked me how long I had taken to do the samples that I had. People have seen this because uh, it's been on CBR too, mm -hmm. that I did like um, Justice League versus Galactus kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just um, the Silver Surfer just running all of them down. The first one that he runs down is Superman. Nice. And I'm like... <laughs> In your face, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I really like the Silver Surfer, the character. Yeah, I like him a lot. He's one of my favorites. And it ends with a big panel where it's Galactus facing Batman. Wow! It was that one and a, a Thor versus Superman thing. Okay, like a, he, Superman invades Osgard. CBR even posted that they they liked it. Posted this like two years ago. Mm -hmm. They liked it a lot. He saw this and he's like, "So, how long did it take for you to do this?" I said, "Yeah, I'd say roughly twenty four hours." It was a week per page. And he's like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately. Mm. But it was a good thing for connections. We hit it off, interestingly. But no gigs came out of that. Marvel approached Raphael. No gigs came out of that, too. We had a thing with a graphic novel. It wasn't paid. <laughs> there was another thing that was starting with uh, Forgotten Realms. I'm a big RPG fan, especially the Forgotten Realms kind of side of things. Baldur's Gate is probably my favorite game of all time. <laughs> and um, I'm more of a water deep person myself, but like, yeah, yeah. let's let's keep our twenties in our pouch. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I start talking about uh, Shadows of Am, and I'm like, I, I don't stop because I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Every time Bioware says, oh, choices, choices, I'm like, Bioware, shut up. Yeah. There was a time when you were Black Isle, you did that. And then Mass Effect 1, and Dragon Age 1, and then you just killed it. Yeah. So, anyways, I was actually drawing a graphic novel with the Dritzt. I was like, man, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is so cool. That's awesome. But when I was doing that, I was really, really running out of money. So I needed a gig, I spoke with Joe, and he said, I can maybe arrange you something with DC in about a month or two. I'm like, okay, okay, mm. thank you. Yeah. Two weeks from that, he sent me an email. Um, uh, I have a, um, I, I have found you a gig for, for you at DC. I'm like, oh, that's pretty sweet. And it's Final Crisis. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. I was like, yeah, wow. yeah, you're going to be doing Final Crisis with J.J. Jones. And what? <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, you have to. How fast can you do these things? I'm like, well, depending on the urgency, I can do fast too. And he's like, yep, fast. So way, way I, to start off like easy. Way to ease yourself into the <laughs> yeah, company. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. That's I awesome. did uh, half, no, a little more than a half of issue number five. I did more than a half of issue number six, and I did one of the covers for issue number seven. That's how I got into DC Comics. Yeah. They liked it. Immediately after that, I did some of the Aftermath books. Yeah. I did Resist with Greg Rocca and Eric Troutman, and this is how I met Eric from The Shield. I did Final Crisis Escape with Ivan Brandon. Interestingly enough, I had met Ivan through Raphael in Brazil. Wow. He was there to spend some vacations. And in one occasion, when we were doing the Escape book, I was lagging behind a little bit because of school, because of uh, university. 
You were still doing architecture at that point? Yeah, I was doing two classes and I was barely sleeping. Wow. It was that and then work and then that and then working, sleeping. I'm like, I'm not sleeping. And I'm not a very fat guy and I was losing weight. And I'm like, yeah, this is not going to be very healthy. When Ivan Kimabadi told me, here's the deal. You're losing your trust with editorial. And if you delay, you lose your trust with fans. So you're either going to do this or you're going to do your school. You have to choose. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is in Mozambique, comics is not a... Especially as I grew up, there was less and less comics. Working in comics is not a reality. It's much plausible to you to study, I don't know, um, theater school right. and want to be a famous director in Hollywood. It's a more plausible thought wow. that then I'm going to be doing... Spider-Man and Marvel. It's just, it's literally something that you don't think about. So I never dreamed that I could do this. Everybody, oh, you're living the dream. What dream? I never yeah. thought that I could. It's a dream you never knew you had. Or, yeah. 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 And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you draw the page where uh, Superman is holding Batman yeah. when he died. I'm like, wow. That was a bit of a stretch. So every now and then I pinch myself, man. Look at what I'm living. Well, and especially with, with like your parents, like early age, like there, there was sort of a little bit of negative reinforcement mm-hmm. in terms of comics and mm-hmm. stuff. And, but you held on. All nerds can relate. <laughs> I was an introvert. I had one friend in 19 years in Mozambique. One. Wow. In school, we were bullied because we were the geeks. I was the guy that drew, so maybe I wasn't that bullied, but I was still. I didn't relate to classmates. The only thing I loved about going to school was playing soccer. That was it. And outside of that, it was retracting to my own little world with comics, drawing, and games. I stuck to so many viruses in my, my father's computer through diskettes, <laughs> like floppies, <laughs> that gaming was not allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would go to my friend's house, and this was a time where cell phones were not very common. So I'm like, yeah, bye. I'm going to be staying here and playing video games and Streets of Rage till whatever, you know. Yeah. So that was it. It was playing RPGs, playing essentially Super Nintendo and uh, Genesis games nice. and drawing and comics. That was it. That was what I did for the longest period. So if you think of it, it was almost like a no-brainer. The first time I saw the 90s Captain America movie, I loved it. And at the end, there's that John Byrne drawing. With wait, wait, wait. The Dolph Lundgren foam red skull? I, like, no. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. Like, the red skull is Italian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, That's a horrible movie. Yeah, yeah. totally horrible. And I loved it because it's comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My favorite movie was Superman 1. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm guilty. Definitely. Guilty. And I'm like, Christopher is a Superman. He can fly. Yeah. Can yeah. I fly too? Yeah. So this is what I grew up in. And I even stopped buying comics when I was in Brazil because they were expensive. Instead of publishing the floppies as normally, they published collected books. And this would be, like, each book would be the equivalent of uh, $20. Oh. So that was that was pretty expensive for you to go, okay, I'm going to buy X-Men, and there's one, two, three, four, five books that you want to buy. Yeah. And it's like 80 bucks. Yeah, wow. And okay. And it's in Brazilian currency, so it, it's, it's too much money. Because I guess the import is so mm-hmm. heavy in terms mm-hmm. of... And that they do they do translations and they uh, that they do publications that, that they're different from here mm. but it's just that it was too expensive yeah. so I would buy one 
like every two or three months, mm-hmm. or even more than that. And I started doing this, I started working at DC, not aware of what, I knew what was going on because I was kept Newsaram in, in CBR close, because I've checked them out ever since I did After the Cape, because I didn't know that those things existed until After the Cape. So I, I kept checking those out, I did those books, and a little bit after that, and this is like a way into 20, uh, 2010, I guess, yeah. Uh, editor Rachel Goldblockster, and she's like, "Oh, uh, I want to offer you an exclusive, and um, I want you to do. Sorry, this is a two two thousand and nine. Okay. Uh, I want you to do this book called The Shield, and they explain what it is. It was the character that was a precursor to Captain America, and he had the suit and whatnot. And you're gonna redesign the character, and it's gonna be you and this guy that you work with that um, resist Final Crisis, resist. Yeah. And that was it." It was very, I'll put it this way, it was a book that wasn't selling very well, so there was not much pushback around it, and because of that, there was not too much control over our choices. There was a bit because we had to show to Archie, and I think me and Ari, we hit it off real well just right after the first issue. We were jiving very good. At issue number five, our connection was complete. Yeah. Like... He was starting to write scripts as I was starting to draw pages. Mm-hmm. The last issue was issue number 10. He told me that he wrote the issue in four hours, the full issue. And I drew the full issue, 22 pages in pencils. And some of them, five of them were inks. I drew them in 16 days. Wow. Wow. Because awesome. I was on a roll. I loved it, especially because... They gave us the creative freedom, and that creative. book was amazing. So what kind of things did you get to do? You'll have to check the book out. It's just that our gimmick, quote-unquote, was that his suit is kind of the, the symbiote, like Spider-Man symbiote, but it's a techno-organic kind of thing. Wow. So he sees differently. So I used a lot of stuff on his point of view yeah. to change the, the layout uh, in a way of telling the story. Right. And because of that, I'm like, this is like a technological book. We can do everything using a more computerish. Uh, do you remember like Tron and the the first uh, the Atari games, yeah, the, the yeah, covers yeah, of yeah, the yeah, Atari totally, games? Totally, yeah. yeah. So I would use lots of covers from Atari games. Some of them were simplistic, but um, very. Oh, this is technology in U two thousand. is gonna be this way. Yeah. It's gonna look this way. Yeah. So let's use it. I'm like, oh, let's use this because this this is yeah. pretty, pretty clever. Never happened, <laughs> but it was still very cool. Yeah. So that was the drive for our approach to it. Mm. It was great. Yeah. I gotta tell you that that book and the Marvel Knights book were the books that I've had the most fun. Yeah. Marvel Knights definitely shows. Oh, I, I can tell. Like your your yeah. your recreation of I even said this to Aaron today. Mm-hmm. Like your recreation of Arcade, yeah, is <laughs> genius. Thank you. Like yeah. like I could see them just taking that and putting it in, back into canon and something similar to that, just mm-hmm. because it's of course, yeah. yeah, totally makes sense. I just love the switching of and styles. Ma- and Matt actually wanted something different. I insisted on Arcade being a more reference to Atari games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Like, I love the change of style. Sometimes it's photorealistic. Sometimes mm. it's pixelated. Sometimes, like, there's, you know, backwards lettering. There is, there is a reason for that. And that's like a trade secret. It's not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a thing that I do. Some movies and some games that I've interacted with, I, I like the way they storytell. 
like the ones that come to mind immediately is like there's, there's this Chinese movie called Jet Li movie called uh, Hero. Yeah, yeah. Xion. The uh, Hero and uh, the same director did the House of the Flying Daggers. Mm-hmm. The way he story tells, he uses color to tell the story a lot, especially mm-hmm. in Hero, where he divides the movie in four or five seconds. I, I yeah. don't yeah. remember, but each section is a tone and is a theme and it corresponds to what the color means. Like, green is hope. Something happened in the assassin that he had a different view, and he started hoping for a different ideal. Mm. So that was green. And then there's white is... I'm not going to tell what it is, because I want people to watch the movie and understand what they mean. But he was using colors a lot. As like a cue. Exactly. As a kind of cue for the the viewer. Yeah. And he does some of that, but more with soundtrack on House of the Flying Daggers. And then there's an animation, there's two actually, that I use as reference. Satoshi Kon is one of my favorite directors of everything. And he directed Paprika, is an animation. So, you know Paprika. Yeah, it's Fantastic. Oh, there you go. I'm and sorry, I'm, I'm nerdgasming so hard <laughs> right now. And, and Paprika messes with dreams, because dreams are never, they follow a chaotic structure. Yeah. That's that movie in a nutshell. Okay. And there is one that is, it's on YouTube, so everybody should watch a movie that I always talk on Facebook, a movie called Mind Game. Yeah. It's an animation by uh, this guy, crazy guy called uh, Masaki Yuvaza. The movie is a complete what the fuck. Yeah. Until you get to the end of the movie and you're like, oh, oh yeah. I get it. <laughs> nice. So... Every sequence in the movie, he literally, as it happens, yeah. like there's this, the sequence where this boy is talking to, to this girl. He variates from photorealistic to absurdly simplistic to cartoony to stretched out. Everything he's using, you're like, why is he doing yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't make any sense, but he's showing emotions. He's showing how your brain works. Yeah. That is always snap, 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 snap. There's one scene where something happens to this guy that he talks to a divine being. I'm not going to say what it is. But the notion of this divine being in folklore and culture variates from Canada to Japan to South Africa to Djibouti, whatever. It just variates. So what he does is every word that this character says is figure changes completely. He's a fish. He's a frog. He's a bird, he's a cockroach, he's a handsome man, he's a sexy woman, he's a demon, he's an angelic figure. Every word he says. Wow. And you're like, again, why? Until you understand what the movie is about and why the sequences are different. Issue number three is coming out um, next, uh, I think, two weeks from now. And there is one sequence that I got the script and I'm reading, I'm like, what? What? It's a sequence that ends, it like starts and ends. You're like, what just happened? That I'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent here of the, all the 25 tangents that I've done so oh. far. But uh, you remember J.D. Salinger's uh, The Catcher in the Rock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the fourth guy from uh, the studio, uh, Eduardo, yeah. he loaned me the book. He like, you should read this book. And he said, it's a book about nothing that starts with nothing, passes through nothing, and ends in nothing. Yeah. But it's awesome. And you're going to love it. And that sequence that Matt gave me, it was literally that. I'm like, I have to make the reader feel exactly as I felt when I read the script. Yeah. And I'm like, man, mind game. It's just, 
I need to study the language that this movie maker was using. Wow. And this is what I do. The way I approach comics, especially after The Shield, and everything I tried to do after, sometimes it was too controlled and I couldn't do it. Like Swamp Thing, even then? Yeah, something, yes. Yeah. Because something, we had a style that Yannick had defined. Yeah. And it was hard to deviate from yeah, it. Yeah. I, many times, I remember people asking me in convention, we had a panel. People were asking, oh, your styles are very similar. Can you describe how you approach a page? And the, these people found out how different it is that our styles are. That um, Yannick, he, he was like, it was first time. So he said, oh, I normally approach the page on a more classical way and start twisting and changing and, and making it more organic to the point that it gets to the idea that I want to say. And that's the layout. That's how I'm going to address it. And they asked me, I'm like, well, here's the deal. Many, many times editorial Scott and Yannick had to tell, tell me, dude, just tone it down. I started all chaotic and I was going to go linear to follow the story. This is the most raw this can be. Mm. Now let's uh, polish it a little bit. So on Marvel Knights Spider-Man, the idea was that I would use all of these um, languages that I liked so much and make it in a way that I can tell the story in this way. Some of the so, things... So different languages in terms of like visual language. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that you see, especially on issue number one, are on purpose because of the uh, hallucinogens going on on that issue. Going forward, no. Some of them are my choices because that's the idea that I wanted to convey. For instance, on issue number two, he's attacked by Sandman and then he's attacked by Hydra. I was speaking with Val, the colorist. I wanted the idea that the Sandman sequences had to feel like sandpaper. They had to be uncomfortable in that way, yeah. and the color should reflect that. It should remind you of Sandman. So you were desert. using the elements that they're made out of. Exactly. And the sequence with Hydro, it had to be more organic, more flowy, like water. And I drew it in that way. When inking, I used the free flow brush with the water sequence wow, and I use spent microns for the Sandman sequence yeah. on purpose. There's one uh, close-up where Peter is uh, he's afraid that there's sand coming up in his eyes. That's all cross-hatching and it was supposed to be cross-hatching because it's fear, it's scratching and yeah. that's the idea that I wanted to convey. Yeah, it's sort of nagging in the back of his mind. Exactly. Yeah. So my intention at the end of the day in using this way of telling the story is that there's more to it than what you're just seeing inside the panel. There is many things telling the story. The layout is telling the story yeah. as well. You, you play the with panel layout a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The colors have to tell you the story. If I can add to the words, the captions, I do, for me, everything has to tell you the story. Because, again, going back to Paprika, everything tells you something. There's minor little things that if you miss, you missed it. Yeah. And then you watch the movie at the sixth time. You're like, oh, what? I didn't even notice this. So I feel like I'm going to get to the end of this. I'm going to have to read it all over again. You may want to. For the different clues and stuff. Y yeah, you may want to. Mm -hmm. I, I love that, though. Like, I, I love that because it's just, yeah. it, it makes you want, it's like, well, it goes right back to your video game background mm -hmm. where, like, Every game's got the main story. Yeah. But then you play your side quests. Exactly. And you want a hundred, you want a hundred percent your comic books. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and if you don't play your side quests, you really won't know how the romance with Viconia ends. <laughs> and it's very funny. So you may want to see, cause Jahir is pretty good. She's normally the mainstay. But if you want to just try and see what happens with Viconia. So one of the reviewers for the first issue, one of the negative reviews, the person said, 
I can't read it because the pages don't flow easy. I'm forcing you to stop and look at it and look at it again. And well, then and that's that's one of the beauty of comics because you can change the pace. That that's was reading that's it. that's the idea, and that was this this person's complaint. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's you're, you're you're free to have your opinion, but you didn't get what I was trying to do. Exactly. Maybe I didn't do it in a way that was appealing to that person. Well, and comics is one of the only mediums where you can do that. Mm -hmm. It is the only medium that you can do mm -hmm. that. So I mean, obviously, yeah. You know, people should enjoy that. Though. That's the point. So, when Matt approached you with the story, what did you think? What did he tell you about what you guys were going to do? Because um, there's also sort of a nod to the old Marvel Knights, the Daredevil, with the dolls and that sort of thing. The thing is, outside of Matt, just on a parenthesis, mm -hmm. but there are two people that I'm trying to live up to doing the Marvel Knights book. The first one is uh, Bill Sienkiewicz when he did Electro Assassin. Because when he did Electro Assassin, he pushed through his decisions. He pushed through his wants in wanting to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And I admire that because sometimes you just can't. It just let, doesn't let you. And he's like, I don't care. I need to tell the story this way, yeah. visually. And the first Marvel Knights book that I was exposed to was Daredevil's Wake Up oh. with David Mack. We're very good friends. Mm -hmm. And I love his artwork. So the story that I'm telling... I don't want to be on the same level as these people because I'm so far from them. They're too fantastic, too legendary for me. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to feel that at the end of the day, I pushed through as Bill did and I tried new things as David and Bill, as they both did. Yeah. So that, that was the idea. When Matt approached me for the book, um, actually it was Marvel first and then Matt, we spoke on the phone. And his emphasis was, we have to have fun. This is a Spider-Man book that I wanted to tell because everybody's here and the idea is to have fun. And I told him, you've seen some of my pages on Swamp Thing. I yeah. showed him some of the pages on The Shield. And I told him, this is something that I can do, but if you cut me loose, I can do better. Yeah. And he was a little bit worried about page flow. And he's like, if it's not too confusing, let's give it a try. After he saw the first five pages, he's like, okay, bro, go. He really, really liked it. So it's good. It was, it was great working with. Well, and the premise fits that sort of let him go and do whatever he wants. Sort of well, I would say that Marvel Knights fits that. You can give this book to any other creator. Yeah. They can still make it fun. Yeah. Even visually striking is just going to be different. Different, yeah. I could have done this book in a more linear way, and yeah. it would work. It would be cool. I didn't want to. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, that's that's the whole like that's the the legacy of the Marvel Knights uh, yeah. series is the fact that like go go be nuts do like yeah it's like uh, the same where DC has the Vertigo set and Image mm -hmm. is all of that it's, yeah. <laughs> like on their own just go be awesome do great things because like as you know like I'll take this from like the uh, from the dorky fan perspective but we yeah. love that because. We can we can feel we can feel the passion. Yeah. Some of you, and, and you're not you're not restrained yes. by continuity. No, you're, you're and that's the best part. With, you're working mm -hmm. with the like Peter Parker Spider Man, yeah. not the Doc Ock Superior Spider Man right yeah. now. So you know, it's really good. Yeah, I wanted to make a visual joke about Doc Ock, but I didn't because, <laughs> because I, I was I was like, oh, where am I going to include this? It just doesn't fit. I'm like, I can't fit this joke anywhere, so I didn't do it. Dan Slott was important in my getting this. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's one of the persons that directed me to the Marvel booth. He's like, hey, you should talk to Marvel, man. And we would go back and forth about Spider-Man, but jokingly. And lo and behold, I did do a Spider-Man book, not with him, but I did do one. So when you made it to Toronto and you came, you said for the connections and for more of the um, community, right? Yes and no. Okay. Um, 
one of the artists here, he was the guy that did The Incredibles, Marcio Takara. He had been in the school here, and I saw their concept art program. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a good idea for me to broaden my horizons. And it's also a reason to come to Canada. Yeah. So I enrolled in that school. I came about here to do that and to be surrounded by more of my peers. And unfortunately, that school was... <laughs> As good as I thought it would be. Yeah, so I was there for like two months and I dropped out. I don't know. Yeah. What did you get out of the scene now that you're here? What do you think of the people and the artists? Amazing. That you, that you work um, the second day that I was in Toronto, I was just walking. Uh, it was summer, I was walking, it was absurdly multicultural. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is good. When I met the creators, it was, it was like a fan expo, Francis's birthday. Oh, and nice. then we were hanging out at the Flash release party. Mm -hmm. yeah, I and I met all of them. Yeah. I was like, this is what I was looking for. These are the people that talk the same language as I do. It, it was awesome. And that was at the comic book lounge, right? The flash release party was at the it was, comic book lounge. Comic book lounge yeah. And I think the comic book lounge is a big part of fostering oh, yeah. that sort of community. Yeah, like, yeah. Having those and the raid is just beside them. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. I got immediately got to be friends, especially with Callan. It's almost like a running joke between us that I'm always joining the studio because the thing is, I can't create in a several people environment because my creative process is very chaotic. Everything's messed up. So you're doing by yourself? Yeah. And I kept telling you, I will join you guys, but I'll just come back to ink nuts to create. So I'm always almost doing that to the point that I'm a mascot. I'm the guy that almost joined. And it's just a joke between us. I visit them often. We're cool. I love them. They're pretty good. Do you get something different out of the Canadian creators versus the Brazilian? Oh, yeah. Do you uh, distinct... Yes, yeah. obviously. Yeah. This is a more... I don't know. It's There's a lot of differences. And it's hard to pinpoint. Well, it's like it's cultural, too. Because, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. like we're, 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 like, even, like, because in North America, we're so exposed. Like, we, we don't realize how lucky we are for being so exposed to comic books. Yeah. yeah. That, like, it's, like, from coming from, like, it'd have to be imported in to be, like, extra stuff. It was that much more special. Like, yeah. We, we sometimes yeah. take it for granted. But we also have that ridiculous just wealth of, like, living through all these ages of comic bookery. And some of them are not geek nerdy. This is like a cool idea to tell stories. I remember my fellow used to joke about me a lot because any character that he wanted to know, I would know. Like yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember this guy that did always, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 that, oh, that's, that's another guy. <laughs> or this, and like, even, even like a darker stuff. Yeah. Do you know this? Yeah, yeah, this has happened that way and that way. So there's less of a nerdery stigma. There is. The, no, no, here. obviously it's there. Yeah, yeah. I really don't know how to pinpoint. It's just different. You would have to be there because the Brazilian culture is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything that you have here, like um, the connections to the artists, the openness of the creators to be around people, the um, hanging out with parties, all of that is there. It's just that it's a different thing that it's hard to pinpoint because you have to experience yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate this. I want to thank uh, Jeff Grossman for helping me with production. As, as always, as always. That's awesome. So tune in next time. And uh, thanks, Marco. Oh, big thanks, Thanks Marco. for having me. Sleeps Network. 
This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thank you.